Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Somebody look over at somebody and say, Jesus is alive. Jesus. Isn't that weird? That one just went charismatic on you. See, that's how we do it. But, um, man, thank you. Thank you, Brother John. And um, I'm just excited. And, and I know that the message has gotten longer and longer. I started off saying I had a 15-minute message, and it's just undoubled. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I'm um, just sitting here watching John lead us in worship and, and, and seeing his style of um, playing the guitar and leading us in worship. As Pat was telling me about some of John's story, I hadn't asked permission for him to say this, but he, he, he leads men into the wilderness hiking. And they'll hike a long ways till they get tired. And then they'll start a fire and talk about Jesus. And, 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 he, and he's, he's, the church that they were at, he got into doing that, and he loves taking men on hikes and just letting them explore who Jesus is in their life. And i just seen that style. I can just imagine sitting around a fire and that guitar strumming and the Spirit of God coming over men that are finding ways to, to let go of some of these things that they've been hindered with and held on to for years. Amen, and thank you for your heart. But um, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah is um, actually one of the books that was um, preached by Chris Root back in the day on a what if when the Dream Center was birthed around 12, 13 years ago. <laughs> a long time. And, um, and, I, and I had this message and I was even telling John, I was kind of being prideful and boastful. I was like, oh, I know Nehemiah left him. Boy, I just I understand that book, boy. And God hit me. And he's like, you didn't know this, did you? And he laid a message on my heart. Because Nehemiah is about building a wall. And if you understand and have ever heard the Old Testament story, the, 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 the walls are down. And, 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 I, and you'll hear that when I read it. So just a little bit of that, just to give you some context of what was going on. Um, I just copied and pasted this out of one of my favorite um, theologians and some 1,000 years after the time of Moses and some 400 years before the birth of Jesus, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people were in a desperate state. Their nations were destroyed, first the northern Jewish kingdom of Israel and then the southern Jewish kingdom of Judah. The city of Jerusalem was completely conquered by the Babylonians and the once glorious temple of Solomon was destroyed. Now, I want y'all to go ahead and put a bookmark in your mind of the temple because the temple is something that just throughout the Old Testament is a huge thing. And the book of Nehemiah can get preached an awful lot and never even talk about the temple. So we're going to keep that as a bookmark, okay? And, and we, we want to just pray quickly, God, would you come right now and let your word be taught to us? Your word is enough. Lord, teach us how to surrender more, how to understand your depth of your love and, you, and the width of your, your kindness and gentleness. Father, be with us here today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, and, and I hope you do, if you don't, it'll be here on the screen, and you can follow along with me. I'm going to read through chapter 1 of Nehemiah, and you have to forgive me if some of my tongue does not work. i got a fat tongue, and it doesn't pronounce some of these words really good, but I'll try my best, okay? 
So these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Nehemiah's concern for Jerusalem in the late autumn in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. And I was at the fortress of Susa, Hanani. One of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So just to let you know, I'll stop right there. About 5% of the, the Jews ended up going back to Judah. So about 50,000 people went back out of millions. So he's saying, well, what's going on there as his brother came and visited him? They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Mourned, fasted, and prayed. Get to a place of brokenness where you're mourning, fasted, and praying. He said, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hands are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayers. Prayer, listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by, flip my page, making the king favorable to, favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. And it says, in those days, I was the king's cup bearer. So what, what is all that saying? Just to kind of give you a little bit of the story. So Nehemiah was in exile. He stayed there. He was the king's cup bearer. He was his servant, and he was the, he, the king loved Nehemiah. I think that Nehemiah had served him to a level that made the king very um, encouraged by having him around. But here's the deal. Nehemiah had gotten brokenhearted for something that he knew he had come from. He was overwhelmed by what he was hearing, and it drove him to a place of repentance. It drove him to a place of, of crying out, fasting, praying. Nehemiah's heart was hurting for his people. Just like I know that the people that are sitting in this room's heart is hurting for this world. I can safely say that because I know most of you men and women that I have seen your burden in your heart cry out for your neighbors or your friends or injustices and it can relate so it can relate to us but Nehemiah was hurting for his people and Nehemiah acknowledged who God was and he cried out to him I think that's, that's we need to hear that today we need to acknowledge who God is as we cry out to him and Nehemiah confessed of his sins his family's sins and the sins of the Jewish people so maybe that's a great thing for us to learn from but just as we lay this out, Nehemiah's burden pointed him to God. 
But also Nehemiah's burden pointed him to repentance, to turn from his ways, to put his eyes back on God. Nehemiah's burden drew him back into this constant communication. Isn't that funny? Sometimes when we're having this hard time in life or these things are just going or we see some, someone that we have fallen deep in love with, that will end up creating this conversation between us and God. And that's when we celebrate him in the trials and in the tough times is that those are the times that we talk to. I don't know about you, but when I don't understand, I tend to talk to God so much more. <laughs> and if, and if, but the days that I think Paul has it figured out, I kind of let God ride my coattail. And I get out in front of him a little bit and I'm like, God, I got this. You just chill out. Watch me go. And God just lovingly, chuckingly says, watch him go. He's fixing to go all right. I don't know if y'all can relate. But we know by history, the people once again fell short and the temple was destroyed. That's where this story takes a turn. That's where I want to, to show you what's really going on. See, there was more than a wall that needed to be rebuilt. There was a temple. And for the Jewish people, this temple was huge because this is where they took their sacrifices to connect to God, to get forgiveness from their sins. And time and time again, this temple would be built in the Old Testament. And time and time again, this temple would be destroyed as the people fell short. Isn't it ironic sometimes, though, as you study the Old Testament? And, and as I was meditating on this word, if you go into the second and to the third chapter, there's this great movement of these men and women that are building this wall. And they're facing persecution from, from Sambalot. And, and they just got all these people who are coming at them. And they are bound and determined by God to get this, this wall built. And it is a glorious thing. It is a God thing that it is happening. They have people watching each other's backs with swords as they are laying this wall down. They are working together in unity to see this wall being built. Also that they can keep evil out. But what hit me in my meditation and prayer is that sometimes we build walls and the evil comes within. So many times with the Jewish people, they would build all this and establish all this and have this temple and then they would fall short. And a seed of rebellion would start again and again the, the merry-go-round would go again and again. And they're like, oh my goodness. All these walls they built to keep everybody at bay generally wasn't the ones that took them out. It was themselves. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. See, physical man made the temple. Physical man built these temples that we read about in the ancient scriptures. Man and woman made these temples. And these temples continue to be destroyed throughout history. But here is where I get excited. Here's where you should perk up and get excited. Because a temple came to this earth that could not be destroyed. At least not for long. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Well, what does that have to do with Nehemiah, Paul? It has everything to do with it because we read in Nehemiah where man's efforts was trying to please God. And God in all his love and all his sovereignty knew that we would never be enough no matter how much we tried. And on come the scene 
is Jesus. A little infant baby. Born of a virgin. Did not know sin. Lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And Jesus starts his ministry. And I want you to kind of look to what Jesus is saying in the book of John as he is combating some of these religious people that wanted to get these temples built and these walls built. And he has a word for them. In John 2, 19 through 21, they're questioning him and Jesus comes off at them. He says, all right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They explain, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Humanity has missed it time and time and time again because we default back to our strength, our works, what we can do. Yes, was it a God thing that the wall was built in Nehemiah in such so many short days? Absolutely. But I have to believe and understand that God in all his knowing knew that this wall and this temple was going to be destroyed again. Why? Because it had man dwelling in it. So God had this plan that we didn't even realize he said, every time man dwells in the temple, he seems to mess it up. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send an opportunity for the temple to dwell in the man. I'm going to let the Savior of the earth, Jesus Christ, come. And whoever shall believe in him and confess that he is Lord, he will enter. And then all of a sudden... The temple starts on the inside and goes out instead of the outside and going in. So many times, I don't know about y'all, but that's how I kind of combat sin. I start seeing a sin in my life and I combat the sin. I was like, well, I just got to stop looking at that or I got to stop saying this or I got to start stop doing that. And I try with all of my effort and all of this power and I'm like, oh, I can be better. I know I can be better. I'm building a wall that will be destroyed in a, mat in a matter of time. I'm building my own temple thinking that I can build something up and I can go to God and say, look what I've done. Look at the sacrifices I bring for you. Not understanding that Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that I will ever, ever need again. And that if I put my trust in him, where man killed him on the cross and did destroy him, he willingly let that happen. But in three days, he come up out of that grave like a bullet. He shot up, and then he had defeated death, sin, and hell. And because he lives, I tell you here today, so can you. So can you. So this is a vision. I'm, I'm teaching on vision for the Dream Center. And God catches me, and he said, before you start talking about a bunch of vision, you better talk about hearts. Because if you start doing a whole lot of vision and got our hearts all messed up and jacked up after the wrong thing, we might make a mess and we might put a lot of effort and money into building a wall that'll be destroyed. And I don't want that for us. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, 
want you to listen to what Paul is telling the church. Now he's speaking to the church, the people who had proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's transitioned. He was addressing the Jews. He was addressing the people who were under the law. But now he's addressing the people who supposedly is not under the law anymore. They're under, see, Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. So now he's addressing the church at Corinth. And, and what I'm fixing to read is right after he starts talking about all of the sin that the people were struggling with. And he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. So in order for all of this to make sense when we're reading the book of Nehemiah, we've got to first understand the context of why this wall was being built in that day. It was being built to protect what they felt like they had and they deserved. To watch over this temple where they went and they sacrificed and sacrificed to find good standing with God again and again and again. And through Jesus... Coming as the ultimate sacrifice, dying for us and being risen again, now through us, asking him into our lives that he seals us with the Holy Spirit so that now each and every one of you that confess that you are a Christ follower and, and, and confess that you can't do it on your own, you are now the temple. You are now this shell that the spirit of God lives in. And Paul is telling them that you're living the house of God. Where you walk, where you go, God lives in you. Let that shine out of you. Not because of your works, but because of his love that comes through you, that transitions and transforms you into more of a Christ-like character. So what does all this teach us? Is that we look at our communities and we look at, at television and we look at the media and we look at, at our churches. And, 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 and I'm going to be quite honest with you. We are all just like, man, how many times a week do I hear, man, the church is struggling. The church needs fixing. Look, God's fixed the church. In our eyes, we are messed up and we're doing a lot of things wrong. But God said, no, nah, I've made that right through my son, Christ, Jesus Christ. But we have to understand and it takes us back to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and 15. And, if, and you've heard it's been mentioned throughout. If you're on the pastor thread or something, boy, that's that 2 Chronicles 14. Oh, if my people. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and 15. Then if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. That is a beautiful scripture. But if you read the, the, the entire chapter, Solomon had just completed a temple. And he was asking God to bless it. And God said he would. And not too much longer, that temple yet again is destroyed. So we can get caught up in putting it in buildings or in, in our works. But God knew even more than the most knowledgeable man that's ever been on earth, Solomon. 
He's like, I'm going to bless you, but you don't even understand how deep this blessing goes because what you just took all these years and all this money to build will be destroyed too. But because of my son Jesus, you'll be made right. But what we have to do, we have to address what this scripture is saying. The first thing that I noticed is if my people who are called by my name so if you are a believer that Jesus Christ is Lord and you say, Lord, you're my God and Jesus is the bridge to you and the spirit is in me and guides and directs me. If that's you, here's the things that we have to do before we cast out the vision of the dream center. We have to humble ourselves. We can't walk into any circle thinking that we're the fix. We can't fix anyone. We can't fix ourselves. But we humble ourselves in love. Secondly, we pray. Well, how much do we pray? Every second of every day if that's what God asks you to do. You stay on your knees. You pray when you walk. You pray when you lay down at night. When you open your eyes at night, you pray. You pray and you keep asking God, God, use me. You keep telling God, God, you are mighty and powerful. And we know that you are, are the creator of everything. You pray. You talk to your daddy in heaven. You pray to him continuously. You get a burden in your heart for the people who do not know him. And you pray for lostness. You weep. You fast. You wipe ashes on yourself praying that there are people that will spend eternity in hell if they leave this earth. And we can't do that out of works. We got to pray and ask God to put in us a new heart for the lost. If we go out and we just start trying to check a box because somebody's lost, the next thing you know, we got all these works going on. We're building this man-made wall and we think that this wall is going to keep out sin and then it's not because sin is in man's heart. And it was ever since man rebelled against God in Genesis. We turned our back on the creator. We pray. And it says that we seek his face. He says, seek my face. That means just to get into his word. Put people around you who are in love with him. And walk in relationship with God and others. You're seeking him. Every ounce of your soul and spirit. You're just talking about him day and night. And you're just being okay with some days not being okay. And you don't have to stop hiding the sin. And you can say, I'm messed up today. I'm ill today. I don't have it right today. And God said, I know your walls and your temple never was going to work. But I got a temple that will last forever. And we turn from our wicked ways. And that goes back to choices, amen? We get to make a choice. And we, again, I said, I said it last week, we gotta stop giving the devil credit for some of our actions. If we choose to be a jerk, we've just chosen to be a jerk. We can stop doing that. You are the temple. The most high God lives in us. For us to say I can't change is saying that God is weaker than Satan. And we know that to be a lie. To say that, no, oh, you just don't know what I've been through. I don't, but God does. He experienced 
every one of the trials, pains, hurts, and sins on the cross at Calvary when the veil was split and he said, it is finished. So we can turn from our ways. And it may take long, a long time for certain things. But it doesn't mean that we give up and we're okay with just being that way. People ask me sometimes that are struggling. I'm like, well, Paul, how many times did I got to get up? One more time than you got knocked down. You just keep getting up. Put your eyes on God. He will transform your heart. He will transform my heart. But only if I seek his face. So yes, do we want to build a wall around this city, this county, this nation, and this world? Yes, but it will not look like a man-built wall. It will be one believer that multiplies to two, that multiplies to four, that multiplies to eight. I have to get my teachers to kick in if I go past eight. <laughs> but what happens when one raindrop starts falling in this dried up land and one drain, raindrop becomes 10,000 and 10,000 becomes 20,000 and 100,000 becomes a million and a million becomes a billion. And what happens when all of these tiny raindrops of each and every one of them, we're all a brick on the wall. We're all a part of the temple. The spirit of God lives in us. We are not victims any longer. We are not broken any longer. We are renewed and restored because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can stand in victory and we can step over our sinful actions and we can confess our sins to one another because shame does not belong in God's presence. It is a sin in itself. And shame will keep you in a dark places and it'll take you further than you want to go. And we have a way of making excuses about it. That wall was built in Nehemiah. They put all these statues and all these rules and they created this storehouse. And boy, and before you know it, somebody's storing something in that place that don't need to be stored there. And they had to start working again, start writing rules again. And God, in all his glory, said, I got Jesus. He's more than enough. And I'll use him to make a wall that's impenetrable. And in the book of Revelations, if you look in the last couple of chapters, it isn't Jesus in us anymore. It isn't Jesus above us. There isn't any more walls. It's Jesus with us. We're walking with him. We're walking with him. Not for 10 years, 100 years, but for millions of years, forever and ever. We have a choice to make. Do you know him? Or maybe even another question, does he know you? And if you don't today, maybe it's a day to make that right. To surrender to him, to, to become that one brick in the wall to be used to bring God glory. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just want to say we love you. We thank you, Father God, for your word. And Lord, we just want to confess that we have sinful natures in us still. But Father God, Lord, we also confess that you live inside of us. And you dwell in us so that we could be sanctified through you, Lord. 
We're justified by your blood and sanctified through the walk. So, Lord God, renew our minds today to understanding this new heart that you put in us, that we're new creations. We're not the old man or the old woman, the old sins or the old natures. Where sin runs deep, God, your word says that grace runs deeper. So let us understand the depths of your grace that we're in. And let your love be the transforming power that we can let go of the things that are not from you, not the works. And Father God, we just want to say we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.